0: Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 76, and today we are going to be talking with Anthony from Roadman Cycling on how to become a better cyclist. Anthony, once a professional cyclist, realized that actually being a professional cyclist wasn't the dream that he thought it would be. He then formed Roadman Cycling after asking himself, How do I use cycling as a tool to achieve health, happiness, and longevity? Hi, Anthony. Thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your day to, to come onto the show. So, um, how I asked all the guests this question How's lockdown life been for you? Because Ireland's slightly different, isn't it, in terms of how, you know, uh, the lockdown is happening. Yeah, you know what? I
1: try not to watch a lot of news. I find that when I watch a lot of news, I'm very reactive instead of proactive. So yeah, I'm actually not too sure of how other countries are handling the lockdown around the Mm -hmm. world. So I can only really speak to Ireland. And yeah, look, we're a small island. You would think it's easier to keep covid off the islands mm. but i think we made some quite bad policy choices at the start with not grounding flights we you know we'd regional lockdowns yeah. but flights were still coming in from the us and some <laughs> stuff that made no sense yeah so we yeah we got a bit of an issue when we're in kind of a total lockdown almost at the moment so it's a 5k restriction on any movement at right. the moment but i'm lucky enough i have an elite athlete exemption at the moment so i still oh get wow I get to go and train, and you know I can't go across the other side of the country in my car yeah. for a holiday. Like, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I can go ride my bike
0: outside. So you know, life's not too different for me at all. Yeah. That's good. I mean, it's interesting actually. They've had that restriction because I mean we don't have that in the UK, so we can still obviously go out on our bikes, which is fantastic. It just means that I can't go out with the cycling club. Uh, which I joined actually this year, just after the first lockdown, because I got bored of cycling on my own. Um, but yeah, now that that's um, super interesting. But let's put that all one side because I think everybody's getting a little bit bored of the whole situation, you know, we know it's serious and everything else. But um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for for people that haven't come across you before, Anthony, you got a super interesting story. You know, how did you end up where you are at today in terms of, you know, performance cycling? And, yeah, give us a bit of background on Anthony.
1: Yeah, it definitely hasn't been a straight line. Uh, <laughs> I suppose like most of your guests, I think no one wants to hear about a straight line success story. We no. all love hearing about, you know, many Trials and failures along the way, and I'm actually I'm obsessed with storytelling and the structure of story. And you actually look at the structure of a story. That idea that we don't like straight line success, it's actually built into stories, and it has right. to be the setup, and there has to be a conflict along the way where the hero encounters some sort of hardship before they get to their end result. Yeah. So I feel like I've definitely had that. Uh, I've made a lot of bad choices. Yeah. And I've come out the other side. So my background was I was a undergraduate in economics went on study postgraduate in law spent more years than any man ever should in third level university so seven years to get my professional qualification in law came out the far side of that with a lot of you know family and social and societal expectations that I would Mm -hmm. practice as a lawyer and I was starting to get quite good at cycling that year and I got offered a contract in France to go and ride my bike for a year wow And being from quite a working to middle class family, you know, we didn't have uh, things like gap years that you have when you're upper class. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, I was destined to go straight into work to pay back these big law school loans until I got this offer to go to France and just seemed a bit too good to turn down. So I went to France and earned uh, the princely sum of 50 euro a week over there. and (laughs) You very quickly learn a 50 euro a week is not enough to feed yourself if you have uh, any sort of budget problems or especially interesting weeks Sort the of ones where like I crashed on the bike and I had to choose between bandages and food. Wow. And so real glamorous stuff over in yeah. France. And uh, then I got offered a contract again in Canada the following year, America the following year. And I was kind of doing the pro cycling thing. And I remember vividly the day that it was just, I said, I oh, have enough, as enough. I was on a bus trip because I suppose the before i jump into that story the reality of professional sport versus the perception of professional sport is very far apart right so the perfect per- the perception of the professional sport is you know it's glamorous it's you're living the dream it's you get to do what everybody wants to do uh, that's premier league soccer and that's yeah. bga tour golf and the nba players at the top level i, I was a tour division professional cyclist and right and So I was earning 15 to 20 thousand euro a year when I made it to that level. But bear in mind, you're covering travel out of that. You're covering hotel expenses and I was paying back law school loans. So I was basically on a budget of goose egg, zero, just enough to pay food. Yeah. So I was getting a bus from Toronto to Chicago, like a nine hour bus ride. Wow. public, Public bus with my bike, my bags. And I was sitting between two like really overweight americans and i was crammed in they were sweating <laughs> and smell and i remember getting a text off a friend saying oh you're living the dream uh-huh. and i just thought like this is not my dream this yeah. is it. and i asked the bus driver can you pull over and he's like like we're not at a stop i can't let you out here and i was borderline panic and i was like pull over <laughs> and so i pulled over on the side of the road took my bike out and i sat on the side of the road. And I was like, that's it. Like, I'm done with professional cycling. And I called my girlfriend at the time. I said, like, pick me up. I'm done. And so I I came back. And I luckily, I'd set up a cycling coaching company just before I'd made that decision. And that was in 2014. And any cycling fans will know in 2014, Team Sky uh, started. So Team Sky completely changed cycling. They completely brought cycling from a niche sport that we kind of engaged in, in industrial estates in an evening, to... Something that's mainstream and everybody does it now instead of golf. Yeah. Uh, so I was lucky in the cycling coaching company blew up, but again, my inexperience as an entrepreneur, I didn't know anything about being a businessman. I didn't have, you know, we have a campaign over here at the moment. I'm not sure if it's something in the UK. Like, can't see me, can't be me about having positive role models to look right. for like. So we use Katie Taylor as an example of a female athlete, and if she can achieve what she's achieved, any girl can achieve that. Yeah. But I didn't have a role model in business, so I was very much self-taught and i was reading books and courses yeah. and so i very quickly thought i need to diversify this coaching thing isn't going to last forever and i went down a road over three years of building out probably seven or eight businesses from yeah. software companies to apps uh, bought a cafe set up an event pre-registration sure. software platform uh, like i don't even know the rest of them uh like set up a social media marketing agency that went to 10 <laughs> staff straight away yeah uh, the coaching company was physical in location with another 10 staff on site in the city center. And right. But, and, but I started riding my bike less and less. Right. And this was the big turning point in my story. And I suppose where the conflict is, I was riding my bike less and less and looking back, I'm from quite a middle to working class background and mm-hmm. we never would use words like depressed or mental health. Yeah. And It was a sign of weakness and, you know, that macho bravado wouldn't let you use those words. Yeah. But looking back now, I definitely was down. I was—I just tagged at the time as I'm less happy than normal. And when I looked at why, I was doing so many things to please other people, to give that veneer of success. Mm. And I wasn't actually being authentic to myself and seeing what made me happy. And the turning point was I went to a local race. Now, bearing in mind, I'm an ex-professional rider and I've gone yeah. to a local race, a quite a poor standard local race. It was a four-day event. right? And on the first day, I went up. And you know, the two tools we have as a cyclist are a power meter for seeing our fitness and our weighing scales for seeing our weight. And yeah. I was pretend that i know batteries in either of these. so i was delusional so i went to the race and i performed absolutely terribly like right. terrible and all the guys around me were like whoa i've never seen you back this far in a race uh, this is brilliant you know i must yeah. be going better and um, my girlfriend was at the race and after the race it was a four-day event i said i'm going home i'm not doing this tour today or, day, or yeah. second tour and fourth day and i remember in the car crying on the way home right and she's like well you know what's up yeah and i knew at that moment i wasn't just close to quitting cycling i was actually close to giving up on the vision i had for my own life right because you know i was into my 30s at this stage i never thought i mean you know your image of yourself when you're Mm. 16 17 how you think you'll age yeah I always thought I was going to be fit. I always thought I was going to be healthy. I thought Mm. I was going to be active. I never thought I'd have, you know, the dad bod drifting towards my mid thirties unfit, And yeah, and just coming home with the car, it just got too much for me. And I was just crying and going like, this is the new reality. I have to accept that this is the second part of my life. Right. And I'm not going to be fit anymore. I'm going to be one of those guys. I always looked at and thought, Yeah. How did you let your life get so shit? (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to be the guy who goes to work every day and not judgment if somebody is doing this, no. but it was never yeah. for me. I, was, I My horror show, worst case scenario for me was always, you go to work all day, you come home, no energy, watch TV, eat shit food, have you know unengaged conversations with your girlfriend, go to bed yeah. and rinse and repeat. Yeah. Just almost waiting to die. That was something I just... I couldn't take it. And I felt like that's what I was had become. Yeah. And I was lucky that I had a really good mentor in my life and I chatted to him and he said, look, if you sold everything, are you in a financial position to just press pause? And I said, yeah, well, I suppose if I got X amount for each thing, I could press pause for maybe two years on this whole thing. And he said, do it. I was like, really? And he's like, do it, sell it all, burn it all down. I was like, whoa. So I really trusted him. So I said, you know what? I will. So I, burned it all down so the only thing i kept was the coaching company right. but i put i put it on pause i put it on life support like cut all the expenses coaches stayed coaching. and they were brilliant and they kept the whole thing going yeah but i went away and i went canada america europe bali okay. dubai china and i went searching for answers right. and i really went searching for answers because when i chatted to my mentor he told me a story and the story was the power of just focusing the mind on one thing yeah and this is a great story i like this one because i know you're into the business and entrepreneur yeah. as well and so he told me a story about a buddy of his and now he's he's moving in these big tech circles and right. founder of a company but he said he met a buddy of his for coffee in san fran about mm-hmm. five years ago and he was five minutes late meeting his buddy and his buddy was in starbucks and he had a blank page w- one question at the top of the page how do i make a hundred million dollars in 12 months right and then a blank page underneath it and he came in and he asked his buddy he's like what are you doing and he's like I just sit here all day and I try and solve this one question. Right. And your man's like, what? He's like, if you don't else to be down, he's like, no, because if I solve this one question, every other question solves itself. Yeah. He's like, every other problem I have in the world literally goes away if I solve this question. And so he called that big, that question is big domino. Right. So he's like, if you can knock over the big domino, it causes a chain of reaction in the rest of your life. It mm-hmm. causes every other problem to be insignificant, inconsequential. Mm-hmm. So it, as a, as a boy and boy, your man built a company and sold it inside 12 months for $100 million, wow. which was amazing. Yeah. Uh, a car rental company in Australia. Right. Was, so he said to me, Look, go travel and find that one question that is going to solve every other question in your life. Yeah. And that was what I'd done. And for me, the question wasn't monetary. When I actually found the question, it was, How do I use cycling as a tool for health, happiness, and longevity? Yeah. And that was the question I dedicate my whole life to figuring out the answer to that question. And, you know, it took me some crazy places and uh, it was a wild ride.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That is a fascinating story to be honest. And there's so many avenues I could go down with that, but you know, I have to obviously, you know, for my own personal gain, I think I, I, you know, there's so many questions I want to ask you around that, but I think one of the, or a couple of key points that you made in that, and that is, We do definitely get to a stage in our lives. And I think I would argue that many guys, dads get to this point and actually don't realize it. So there's a lot of talk around, you know, the female menopause and stuff like that, but no one really talks about, a midlife crisis and it sounds woo-woo that people go, the guys go through and you absolutely do go through it. And I've realized that actually that's what I've been through and I have not realized it. And so it's almost like you, it depends on how introspective you are with yourself as to whether or not you actually realize it. And I only realize it now, but I would argue that a lot of people listening to this actually don't realize it
1: because I think the labeling of it's hard as well yeah. um, because to label it like You know, we we all have those friends that anytime they buy something, you ask them, how is it? And they'd be like, oh, it's brilliant. It's because they don't want to lose status. And a lot of our decisions are motivated by status. Yeah. So, And even decisions not to buy something are motivated Mm. by status. Like if I could afford a Ferrari, yeah, I would still choose not to buy a Ferrari Mm. because I feel like it'd be a decrease in my status if I bought a Ferrari. I'd go back Mm. home to my mom and dad and they'd look at me and go, you bought a Ferrari, like cop yourself on, like, you know, there's people living (laughs) on the streets and you're driving a car that's worth 250,000 and I'd have a decrease in status. So I feel like when we show that vulnerability, Mm. we're afraid we're going to have a decrease in status to our friends, to our family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree. I agree with that. And I think it's, you know, i've definitely come from the era that men didn't necessarily talk about their feelings talk about their struggles you're a man you're ahead head of the household man up and get on with it type scenario and thankfully this is now starting to be questioned it's it's being challenged um and there's some pretty big media stars that are coming out and talking about this you know people from the sas and all that kind of stuff which i think is fantastic but you know obviously so you took that pause which i think is so valuable um taking that pause reflecting because there's so few people that actually do that in life um to actually and then realize you are entering like a second stage of your life now i know we're going a little bit off topic from cycling but i think it's an important point to make you know if you were able to have Uh, or not able if you were to actually take that conscious decision to stop to pause, just imagine for a second how different, you know, the second part could be uh, of your life. And I think that's so valuable to to kind of point out really. Um, It's a massive, massive kind of, um, I guess, risk because you're going to be stepping outside like you say the social norm because you you said you know you go you go and get a degree you go to work you work until you retire and that kind of stuff to step outside of that almost like that social framework is very challenging I think Um, and both you and I have obviously done that in doing what we're doing Um, so once you obviously reflected on that and you determined that you know cycling was so passionate and so key to you how did you then kind of structure that to, to to make sure that you're doing, you know, you've got the health, the happiness, the longevity and that kind of thing?
1: Well, yeah, I think like touching on your point there, that was the main thing from the pause was figuring out the direction I was going. I was like a ship leaving the harbor. Now I was at least pointing the right direction. And it's like, I'm not sure if you've, I love books and I've, you know, since I've a kid I've read a lot. I love that quote from Alice in Wonderland when Alice is talking to the cat, and she's like, will you tell me please, which way I ought to go from here? Mm. The cat says, well, it depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice says, oh, I don't care much where. And the cat says, well, it doesn't matter which way you go then. Yeah. And that's what a lot of us do. We just drift through and we're not sure which direction we're going. And if we're not sure what the outcome that we want is from life, yeah, like, any direction does us because we're confusing movement and motion with purpose. So for me, once I had that sort of North star, it, it focused my mind a lot more. So I was able to figure out then, okay, well I want to use, I've always loved cycling. It's always made me happy. Mm. So that has to be a part of the solution. So Cycling and then the other parts were for health, for happiness, and longevity. Because, mm. you know, and none of them were monetary because I figured, you know, if I figure this part out, the monetary will look after itself. Because if I'm struggling with this, other people have to. So yeah. the monetary came as a secondary byproduct. But I went on a, a journey. And I suppose if I look back at any period of my life from school to university into law school, or even when I started cycling, the thing that's always worked really well for me, and it's, it's different for everyone, but this has worked really well for me. I've put my head down and anything good I've ever achieved has had a period of really hard work just before yeah. it. Yeah. And like complete, people speak about balance all the time. I'm the most unbalanced person you'll ever meet. I'm, <laughs> I'm counterbalanced. So yeah. I'll put the head down for excruciating unbalanced amount of research until I get to a point where I'm happy with the answer and then I'll try and counterbalance the stuff, the relationships, the other stuff that's about to, you know, spiral out of control and I put the head down and I started traveling, meeting mentors, I started going to seminars, going to conferences, attending workshops and diving back into academic texts and it was nearly journey over for me and I was kind of running out of cash on this whole thing and I flew to America and I met a friend who was a mountain runner. Right. And he spoke to me about because it, the assumption that I'd been operating under for a long time was well you can only have sport plus one other facet to your life because if cycling so time consuming or running so time consuming that if you dedicate yourself to one thing you can only have like a functioning relationship and then a mediocre career, it's not possible to have an yeah. amazing relationship, an amazing work life and an amazing sport life. The three things are just too much. Yeah. So I, I sat down and I spoke to him and he was an international mountain runner. And I was like, okay. But then he was he built startups and he'd sold them. And like huge yeah. you know, work effort yeah. and energy to get a startup off the ground to the point where he's bringing in VC capital and then selling it. Yeah. And then totally, he had an amazing relationship and he would kids and he had a thriving social circles. And I was like, like what how is this happening i've never met anyone like this that's performing at mm. such a high level in so many areas of their life everyone i knew was like an olympic athlete but then they were a degenerate or an olympic athlete and then <laughs> unemployed or yeah but this guy had everything and i was like wow. how is this possible to have everything and so he spoke to me about something i didn't know anything about cortisol at the time and it was the first time i'd heard the word right. and for anyone listening cortisol is just a stress hormone yeah but he spoke to me about how when we train, we create stress, cortisol. When we work, we create stress, cortisol. When we have any sort of relationship with friends or family, there's a certain amount of cortisol required to maintain those relationships. Mm-hmm. So he explained to me, like, cortisol is like I have an empty bottle here, and cortisol, you only have a certain capacity to take on so much cortisol. And that's why I've typically only been able to balance two things because I got to the capacity of my right. cortisol but he spoke to me about then the importance of having strategies to minimize cortisol. And this was the first time I'd ever heard about this. And that's really where the switch flicked for me. And I went down the rabbit hole then in my research, my conferences focused on this hormone cortisol. How do we reduce it? And it's things like building morning routines, Mm -hmm. light therapy, grounding, cold therapy, meditation, gratitude. And when you get into this stuff, it's it's not easy for me, this stuff. And it was a lot of reluctance getting into it because yeah. it's stuff I would have very, you know, in a cavalier sense, labeled as wishy-washy or hippy-dippy mm. when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. But when you see the output and the results of it, for normal guys, you're like, oh my God, I can't argue with this. And when you see yes. the science for it, but the problem is the science is hidden because yeah, there's, is. There's, no, there's no big lobby groups pushing this. There's no big agenda pushing this because honestly, cold water... Is a more powerful stimulant than caffeine. Yeah. Nobody's going to tell you that because it's free. <laughs> yeah.
0: But, but yeah, just to interject there, nobody wants to hear it because it's too simple. It's, I'm working on a virtual
1: performance summit at the moment that I'm bringing together 30 right. experts from around the world to speak about how do we optimize human performance. Yeah. And one of the experts I've had, that's Wim van Hoff. Uh, yeah. Uh, disciple and disciple i made it sound like a religious cult there. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a Wimbad half disciple he's the judas of the, the whim half yeah. disciples uh, but he spoke about exactly that he said that he, the trouble he has when he goes in he works with big corporates and executives mm. and he's helping them to increase their productivity and when he talks to them about breeding practices and cold therapy it yeah. seems too simple he said he almost feels like okay well you need to do this handstand you need to hold your nose (laughs) to make it complicated to make it believable but if you think back like we're if you look at the industrial revolution was probably the worst thing to ever happen to us as a species uh in the whole you know history of human life on earth what we're doing right now is a very small part of our evolution and it's not a very healthy part, the idea of being indoors, trapped in cubicles, trapped in cars, under artificial lights. You know, we're solar powered beings. We need to be outside. We need to be in the elements. We need to be in the sun. We need to be chasing animals. We need to be climbing trees. That's what we're designed to do. It's like trying to drive a Ferrari around all day in force gear. Mm. The clutch is going to be fucked after a while. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah to touch on the points that you know you said there about how profound gratitude is grounding um breath work and I said this on a podcast that I recorded yesterday and um I use the term woo woo because whenever you like if so I'm you know I'm 47 if if I was to mention this to people that are same age as me they would look at me and think this guy's nuts he's gonna go and hug trees um and all the rest of it. And if you'd have asked me that same question five years ago, I would have been on I would have been one of those guys that would have gone, This guy's an idiot. What is he on about? He's gonna go and hug trees and you know all the rest of it. But it is, you're so right, it is so profound. It is so basic, but it is so profound. I mean, I cannot tell you how uh, how kind of in not inspired, but how kind of woken up I get in the morning by going out standing with no shoes and socks on, on the grass, doing breath work for five minutes at half five in the morning. Now, if any of the neighbors were to look outside, they'd probably think, what is this guy doing? But it has such a profound impact. And so the reason I mention that is because, you know, like you said, it just does have and you if you add all of those little things together, it has such a dramatic, you know, kind of impact on how you deal with things on a day to day basis. Um, You know, and and some of the stuff that that I talk about in my community, people don't want to hear it because it's not this magic pill. You know, everybody at the moment is focusing, in my opinion, on this magical vaccine, right? That's going to solve COVID and everything else. It's not, you know, newsflat, it's not going to solve it, you know, but everyone's focusing on that because it's this new thing. We want new, different and kind of stuff like that and i like i said i'm going a bit off on a tangent but for people listening to this you know do the basic stuff first and you will get results so yeah i think it's so valuable what you said there like
1: i, I think because i would have been very similar to you to label it like you label it woohoo i might label it hippy dippy but yeah. i think with maturity and with being you know i don't know if it's a little bit of wisdom or better travel mm-hmm. or better read yeah. you realize that you can take any doctrine that's even you know maybe it's labeled quite as a poor doctrine or an evil philosophy you can take anything like you can take you know socialism you can take stoicism and you don't have to accept the whole thing you realize that you can pull what's good out of that use that for ourselves without like casting a dispersion on the whole wider because what you do when we label something hippy dippy we turn our back on the good that's in that yeah for it could be five percent bad and we're mm. turning our back on the 95 percent good yeah but also then to touch on the, the covid and the vaccine i think what the little news that i have seen and the conversations i'll try and catch up with friend in the morning rather than watching news when i go yeah. out try and i'll say to the guys oh and in the news at the moment and i'll get kind of my 30 seconds rundown <laughs> but what you never hear in the news and uh, I've never heard. It is. It's all vaccine. It's all social distancing and masks. And yet yeah, we know they're they're working their great tools. And I'm definitely not here to say don't do that smart, no. responsible stuff. But also responsibility starts at home. Like, yeah. you look at the hard statistics on your chances of being in intensive care as a fit person versus mm. someone with underlying health conditions you yeah know, we can take control of that with the sleep make sure you're sleeping a great example is a buddy of mine i was talking to him last week i was ringing him up and saying like how are you getting on and he's like really struggling mental health really bad at the moment right he's like what can i do and it's like wow well, this is an easy fix i was like let's talk again in six weeks mm. between now and then make sure you drink three liters of water every day make sure you exercise at least six times a week and uh, make sure you sleep eight hours every night yeah. And then let's talk again because yeah. most people just don't do the simple no. things that we absolutely need to do. We need to move. Yeah. We need to sleep. We need to have water.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think you know again, sleep is such a fascinating topic, um, and that that could be a whole podcast on its own. We dramatically underestimate not just sleep, but the quality um, of sleep um and yeah like i said you know we're kind of going a little bit off topic on the cycling side of things but yeah i I can i completely agree you know we do underestimate how important it is um and how profound it can be on the you know kind of a, a domino effect on our you know daily lives really so coming back to the the cycling then anthony in terms of your approach to coaching so in my 90 10 system that i've created cycling is a core pillar of what I believe to be a kind of all-round holistic kind of uh, fitness approach, really. Um, and you know, for me, I don't believe you need to kind of just go out, kind of like running, just do miles and miles and miles on cycling. And so, you've got a bit of a three-dimensional um, coaching approach. So, how how did you come up with that with that approach? Yeah, so I, I suppose in, in cycling
1: is a very scientific sport mm. uh, compared to athletics uh, swimming stuff like that we're very data driven and mm-hmm. we have had that benefit from team sky coming in with an insane budget for almost a decade and because of that sports science evolved at a rate that it probably never would have otherwise because it just wasn't it didn't make financial sense so that trickle down effect from the top riders in the world What's super interesting with that is and it was actually a, a turning point i had in the business because in the previous iteration, before I had my you know, semi-breakdown there, crying yeah. on the way home from a bike race, my previous iteration of the coaching company, we were focusing on coaching guys who were aspiring pros, young kids who were on the way up who wanted to make a career. Well, right. There's obviously one major problem with that. These kids don't have any money from a business point of view, so yeah. you're trying to sell things to broke people. But, <laughs> but secondly, you're not making a very big impact on them because even if yeah. you do a great job, you're making like a 1% gain. Yeah. So at a huge turning point. As I was traveling, a buddy of mine said to me, look, I'm getting into cycling. I want to get off the beer. I want to yeah. pack in uh, all the bad lifestyle habits I have, and I want to start cycling. Would you mind taking some of that sports science stuff that you're using on the guys who are are mentoring to be try to try be pro and turn that lens and focus it on me? And I said, no, go away. And he rang me back again a week later and a week later. And eventually I caved in because he said he was just going to keep ringing until I actually caved in. So I caved in early and we turned this sports science lens on him. And we started using you know metrics for judging his fitness, his fatigue, and his form. And like bearing in mind, we expect like a 1% gain maybe annually from some of our pro riders, maybe a 2% gain if someone went yeah. really well. We had in a period of eight weeks, a 25% gain with wow. one rider. And these are objective data metrics, you know, not subjective, not him going, oh, I feel 20% better. And like their times up climbs, power readings, you know, heart to power, cardiac drifts, you know, technical uh, terms. So we could concrete it. And I thought maybe he's just an ultra responder to this type Mm -hmm. of training. And it's not representative for the general public. So I got another friend of mine, 47 years old, just getting into cycling. He'd been a golfer probably 10 to 15 kilograms overweight ex-smoker drank you know as he'd say i drink socially but what that meant for him was like four to five nights a week right. eight takeaways basically every night a week yeah. and i said look give me 12 weeks and let's see what happened and we got a 40 percent increase in wow. his but then what was more interesting than the objective measurements was his subjective measurements okay. of his happiness levels how are yeah. you feeling And then it was, I remember chatting to him and we were out on the bike and we were riding along. And then he said to me, and like, it's why I didn't name him because I'm breaking his confidence (laughs) here. He said to me, I'm back having sex with my wife. I haven't had sex with my wife in about four years. We're at it like teenagers again.
0: Yeah.
1: And I just thought, holy shit, this stuff that I've been using on the pros, it's so powerful Mm. for your normal middle-aged guys who are trying to balance cycling with family, with work. So I was like cycling itself isn't mm. what we're after here. I'm not trying to get somebody to the finish line of a race faster. No. Now I want to use cycle as a tool for other areas. Yeah. So I extended this and I built out a beta group. Right. And I started bringing in, you know, guys who were, you know, weren't overweight, but they had other problems in their life, like productivity and work. Yeah. And so again, they increased and improved in the objective yeah. measurements of performance on the bike, but again, they're subjective measurements of how are you feeling in work? What's your productivity levels like? Yeah. They were all through the roof. I'm getting more done in a day than I used to get done in a week. Yeah. And when you start working with guys at a certain level in business, if yeah. 5% to 10% increase in productivity, it can be bottom line, a lot of extra cash these guys are making. Yeah. So that's when it really just took on a life of its own. Wow.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's it is so profound. And I, and I can relate to that from an Ironman triathlon perspective because I always talk about the unexpected outcomes and it, and it is that for me, which is miles more profound, right? So I've, I absolutely love triathlon. I love Ironman, but the, the, the actual benefits it's had to my life and my relationships and stuff like that, has just been unbelievably profound. You know, you, you talked about the sexual relationships and stuff like that. You know, testosterone will start to fly off, you know, and, and they will start, you know, their, their mitochondrial health, you know, the, the little power units in their cells will start to get revved up. You know, it's all that kind of stuff that nobody talks about which it is so profound. And, and when I talk to, to guys that I'm coaching and things like that, they just, that they come at it from a perspective of, you know, I want to lose fat or I want to get fit. And then when I try and when I explain to them, what actually is going to happen, they don't quite believe it until they actually experience it. So yeah, I think it's, you know, the, the cycling, as you say, is a tool, isn't it? So um, I always
1: speak about the hero's two journeys to clients. So I right. get them to pick a target. So Say, I'm working with a new client, chatted with him this morning, and he's looking to compete in the Mallorca 312, and it's in right. April. So it's 312 kilometers, which is a big physical challenge yeah. to get him there. So that's his, his, his external journey, we'll call that. Yeah. But what's actually more powerful between here and the Mallorca 312, it's the internal journey of, mm. you know, we'll call him the hero in this case. Yeah. So the hero goes on the internal journey, and that's who he becomes in the mm. process. And it's his his mental frameworks change, his quality of his relationships change. Even the quality of the information he's consuming changes because everything
0: becomes more mindful. Everything becomes more deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it becomes that way because I believe that from, you know, doing the cycling, the mental clarity you get by dialing in your nutrition, having more energy as a result of moving more is just so profound. And I don't think that many people particularly in kind of middle-aged people, actually experience what that is because you kind of get sucked into this, oh, you know, I'm, I'm middle-aged, so that's why I am constantly feel foggy. And actually, they probably don't even realize it is fog, but, you know, this, this kind of dull underlying lack of energy, uh, lack of motivation. And once that is lifted, you know, you, it's, it's profound because you, you, you realize just how capable you are. And you also create better habits
1: in Mm. the rest of your life like if you're gonna ride the bike for two hours on a saturday morning you're unlikely to come home from two hours on the bike and grab a quart of ice cream and six cans of beer and sit on the couch yeah it's because it creates this conflict because on one hand how we see ourselves is super important and now we're starting to see ourselves as an athlete so an athlete has certain set of habits But if we see ourselves as this sort of, you know, over the hill, middle-aged guy approaching 50 and out of energy, Mm. you've given yourself tacit permission to grab those beers, grab that ice cream. That's a set of behaviors associated with somebody who's approaching 50 and, Mm. you know, pretty unhappy in their life. Yeah. But if you start to see yourself as an athlete, they have a very different set of behaviors Mm. because maybe that evening they start thinking about recovery and hydration for the next day. They start thinking about washing their kit for the next morning, cleaning their bike for the next morning. And something I love to do, and this is something your listeners, because I love to give something tangible that you can take away Mm. in action, it's habit stacking, which is brilliant. Have you you heard of this? No, I haven't. So if there's something we know is good for us, so we'll take a a basic example like hydration. So Mm. we wake up in the morning after hopefully eight hours of sleep and our body's crying out for water. But what do most of us do? We have a coffee. So we know we should be drinking water first thing in the morning. So we want to stack that habit with something that's already automated. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the idea that we have two decision-making pathways. So we've type one decision and type two. One takes willpower and one is automatic. So we want to pair something that takes willpower with something that's automatic. So we make them both automatic. So you take something that you habitually do, like you wake up every morning, no matter how late you are, you always brush your teeth. Yeah. So now you have stack. So every time you brush your teeth, you're going to have a pint of water. Yeah. And it, that just forms that habit. So the hydration takes care of itself and you can gamify this and you can build it into little routines where, you know, you have a kettlebell uh, near your door. So every time you go in and you put the kettle on to make a cup of tea, the toll for having that cup of tea is 10 kettlebell swings. Yeah. And you can build these little habits in all around yeah. your life because yeah. ultimately that's what we should be we should be hacking our environment. Mm. So we're moving, stretching, bend and swing pushing our way through the entire day. Yep. Not like slobbing from the zoom seat to the Netflix <laughs> couch and back to the kitchen.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's fantastic. Those little habits. And I have this thing called micro workouts. So, you know, a lot of people will listen to this. will, will say, I haven't got time to work out. So you tell me that you haven't got time to get up from your desk and do 10 bodyweight squats. You know, if you were to do that, and how many times a day do you get up from your desk? You might get up five, six, seven times. If you were to do that every single time you got up from your desk, which would take less than a minute, you'd amount to like 60 to 70 bodyweight squats. Like you say, the compounding effect of that, you know, these little tiny habits has a profound impact, you know. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a great, great um, approach to take.
1: But I love um, that time crunched one because uh, it always reminds me of a tweet i seen from the Dalai Lama. Mm. And he tweeted, said, uh, today is the busiest day of my year. I'll have to meditate for twice as long. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you make things for what's important or you make yeah. time for what's
0: important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally, yeah, I totally agree with that. And then I have this little phrase in the morning uh, you, you mentioned around hydration is it's hydrate before you caffeinate. That's so awesome. if you have that, you just hydrate before you have a cup of coffee. It's quite simple, you know, and it, yeah, you know, it just, ta- it just takes it, just repeating that to yourself and then just using that. Um, and, and I'm sure there's lo- loads of other little phrases you could use, you know, you know, having, um, putting the kettle on, do 10 kettlebell swings and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's that kind of thing that's really, really important. And um, we put too much emphasis, I believe, on such a big, massive, um, task or workout or things that we need to do and it doesn't need to be like that and like you say this habit stacking and the compounding effect of doing that is 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 profound but I was going to ask you anthony do you think that you know something you mentioned that earlier on in the interview around 2014 when team sky you know Came to the forefront, and and everyone's gone into cycling. Do you think that this whole David the this marginal gains, has had uh, you know a significant impact on you know the, the kind of evolution of cycling?
1: Yeah, look on a pro level, it definitely has. But what you yeah. find when you wash down to the the target market and the customer that you know listens to my podcast and uh, listens to your podcast you can get caught up in this idea of marginal gains, because if you look at what the word is, it's marginal. It's a small, Mm. it's a minuscule gain. So we wash over the huge chunk of gains that we can make by doing the basic things, right. In search of this marginal gain and in cycling, you know, the marketing powerhouses, they push pretty hard because there's huge monetary incentive on these marginal gains. You're looking at, you know, friends and clients spending two, 3000 euro on wheels for their yeah. bike and uh, because they're five seconds faster because they're 10 grams lighter yeah but you're looking at the same rider and you're like well you're 15 kilograms overweight <laughs> yeah. you know you're, you're spending that much money for 10 grams you 15 kilograms to yeah. lose so yeah. I, I think although marginal gains are important we definitely shouldn't lose sight of what not just cycling is but health is it's mm. not a magic pill it's consistency it's yeah. building habits that last and like one of the ways I do it to make it sustainable for me is every morning I have, because my day as someone that's self employed and, you know, I spoke about the summit that I'm putting together at the moment. So I'm interviewing 30 speakers, obviously time consuming, getting people's schedules on and yeah. it's hectic and it's responsive a lot of the day. And also my podcast goes out every day. Again, it's responsive in your research and topics. So a lot of the day is not on your schedule, but yeah. what you can do is control the start of your day. So the first 30 minutes of your day, you can control that, that it's identical every day. And it creates momentum because you get a small win first thing in the morning. And that small win, we've all had those days where we go, nothing went right for me today. But that's often because it started bad and then everything just escalated. But if you can start a positive momentum first thing in the morning that escalates in the rest of the day and it becomes this like pushing a piano up the hill at some point it's just runaway momentum and you're just knocking tasks off yeah productivity is insane so in the morning every morning no matter how rushed i am i get up and i do the same thing i jump out of bed and i stand in front of a red light it's uh, i use okay. a machine called jew of j double ov yeah And it's near and far infrared light. So that kind of mimics the sun coming up first thing in the morning. I'm recording here in Ireland, typically quite overcast, not getting access to that vitamin D, which is super powerful for uh, autoimmune response around COVID and stuff like that. So I want to get that vitamin D whack, but I also want to get my wake up hormone, my serotonin, my feel good hormone. So that's vitamin D straight away and serotonin. And it wakes me up like Mm. straight away, 10 minutes up front of that. Then I jump into the cold shower. Not one morning have I ever wanted to do a cold shower. You're leaving your girlfriend in the warm bed. A <laughs> yeah. cold shower is like getting slapped with a fish across the face. <laughs> like it's horrible. Yeah. I do it because there's a willpower and there's a discipline with doing uncomfortable things. Mm. Then I brew myself a coffee in quite a deliberate way. It's not just press go on an espresso machine. It yeah. takes some time to you know, appreciate the coffee. Where's the coffee come from? How have I got it? Mm-hmm. Fuck, am I lucky to be inside and not sleeping out? There's a bit of gratitude yeah. around that, making yeah. the coffee. And then I sit down and I have a journal that I use. That's I'd actually love to get something like this made, but I just have to start with blank pages. And I write the main thing that I'm trying to do for the day in the journal. What's my main quest and yeah. my main goal for the day? Then I write my three supporting tasks to achieve that quest. Yeah. Then I list three things that I'm grateful for. I list threats to, for me today. So a threat for me might be scrolling too much on social media, getting yeah. distracted in projects that aren't going to take me towards my goal. I'll list my threat for today. I'll list my ally for today. What stuff have I got that's going to support me in hitting my task? Yeah. So, you know, I've got all my meals prepared, you know, could be an example of it. So I'm not going to get takeaway and get into that negative mm-hmm. rut. And that's, basically it and i'll write down any sort of random thoughts i have in the journal as well and i'll do that when i'm drinking my coffee and the three of those things typically takes me you know 20 minutes 25 minutes max and at that point then i'll pull out the phone and i'll pull out the calendar and see what's on today but if you do it the other way around you pull out the phone even as an alarm clock yeah you look over and you're like shit there's a whatsapp shit there's an email from a customer who wants a refund and it's a horrible way to start your day
0: absolutely yeah, I completely agree with that, and yeah, you know, your more morning routine is fairly fairly similar to mine. In all honesty, but in terms of training, though, because obviously you mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you know that is almost like your sanctuary. You know, when you're on the bike and you're training, you know, lots of people listening to this have the perception that in order to to, to get into cycling, you have to spend hours and hours on the bike. So, I can't, I've got two questions really. Is is one how do you schedule in your time on the bike during the day, and two, what what does that look like in terms of a time frame and a, you know a, a a kind of a session type? So I use a
1: Google Calendar, and right. what I do the day before I will look at my schedule and I'll actually make an appointment and a meeting with myself in it. So yeah. I'll schedule the time that I'm training, and that's boxed off. Yeah. So obviously we had a bit of back and forth schedule and a time that was mutually convenient for the podcast. At some point in that negotiation, uh, there was probably you pitched a time. I looked at the calendar and thought, no, I have an appointment right there that I can't move. That appointment's with myself. And that's the yeah. most important appointment in the day. For me, everything else is movable. That appointment yeah. is fixed. So right. I know what time I'm going training with so that I can plan food around that. I can plan get my kit ready. And then cycling, it, it really depends on what your goal is. Look, are you yeah. looking to cycle just to get some fresh air and feel a little bit better? Are you looking to, you know, do a Mallorca 312, a half Ironman, or are you looking to race your bike? And that just depends. Then you reverse engineer that because we figure out what the demands of that event are and we build our training plan back around that. Mm-hmm. But somebody just using cycling as a tool to increase their happiness, get a bit of sunshine and sunlight. Yeah. Like you don't need a 4,000 euro bike and a 1,000 euro right. kit. You need anything and just get out and start. Get started with the tools you have at your disposal right yeah. now. If you enjoy it, you can always upgrade along the way. Yeah. And often get out, even if you don't feel motivated to get out, or if you're worried about the weather, get out to fair judgment and then decide when you get back if this was a good idea or not. Yeah. Because no matter how bad the weather or how much of a hangover I've had or how shitty I feel about myself. I go cycling and I come home and I always feel better about myself.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I completely agree with that. Um, and I did a Facebook live a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago where it was 6am on a Sunday morning and Sundays are generally my long run days and it was hammering down the rain. It was cold and it was dark. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a Facebook live because everybody is talking about motivation And I opened the door and I did the live and I was like, well, this is the prime example of when there is no motivation. You are not motivated in any way, shape or form to put your stuff on and go running in that cold rain. However, if you play that forward in your mind as to how you're going to feel when you come back, that will make you get your stuff on and go and do it because I have yet to meet anybody who says that they feel crap when they come back from any kind of exercise, any kind of walk, you always, always feel better. And that's basic, you know, science that, that, that detects that really. Um, a good little tip is if you have like a friend who you're super close with, that's also
1: trying with you, or you can even record it for yourself. Yeah. Next time you're procrastinating about going to the gym, getting on the bike, going for your run, press record on your phone and record the reasons why you're procrastinating. Yeah. So, You'll say things like, oh, the weather's pretty bad, uh, mm. didn't sleep great last night. And then listen back to that recording. And I've got news for you. Like, you're a straight up bitch. Like, you're, <laughs> your excuses are the worst excuses. You yeah. have no legitimate excuse for no. not going on that run. They yeah. are soft things like, it's a little bit cold out, like, maybe I could do it later on. Uh, yeah. I didn't sleep brilliant. I'm a little bit stressed with work and you're just like, oh my God, cop yourself on. like." <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, talking about cycling, there's obviously the physical element of cycling and physical fitness. But I believe that a large majority of any type of fitness is a huge kind of mind uh, mind challenge, if you like. So what what types of things... Or do you agree in the first instance? And secondly, you know, what type of things do you use to kind of, I mean, we've spoken a little bit about it just now, but to kind of have these conversations, these mind games with yourself?
1: Yeah, look, I think I try to meditate, and I find that meditation is a funny area because it's almost like you know, I spoke in the summit with a girl who's a, a brilliant yogi and mm. we spoke about this snobbery around yogi where you've, you know, you've asked Shtanga and all these different forms of yoga, yeah. 50,000 different forms. And there's almost like my form is better than yours. And yeah. there's judgment around and <laughs> it, It's almost exclusionary. Yeah. I feel like meditation is like that, that if you talk about meditation, everyone's like, well, you're not doing it right. Mm. Or, you know, I have a better way of doing it. I have a better app of doing it, or this is a better way to do it. Or you don't do it enough. And, It shouldn't be really about any of that. It's just, it's quieting the mind. And however you do that, you don't need to be in a dark room to do it. You don't need to light scented candles and be on a beanbag to do it. You can quiet your mind while you're out for a walk, while you're driving, while you're cycling. And for me, I try and meditate when I'm at home, but often I just, I'm busy and I don't have the time. Maybe Mm. I should build it into my morning routine, but I don't. Because for me, when I go out on the bike and I'm riding up the side of a mountain, That's the time I get to quiet my mind. I won't ride full gas. I'll ride at quite a sustainable speed, like below threshold. And Mm
0: -hmm.
1: at that moment, I'm fully focused on the present. I'm not worried about the Zoom interview I have later on. I'm not worried about the meeting I had yesterday. I'm Mm -hmm. just totally focused on breath, heart rate, pedal stroke, present in that moment. And for me, that's enough to quiet my mind and so like we rest our muscles we rest everything else but we often don't rest our mind and especially in social media age where we're constantly tricked into coming back to the phone to get dopamine hits from you know notifications on social media it's especially important to quiet our mind and just say okay relax this is the off time
0: yeah and there there is something quite i find it quite calming when you're out on the bike particularly in the spring and the summer in the early morning as the sun is coming up, it's fairly quiet. You know, you don't get any aggravated car drivers trying to run you over or run you off the bike. Um, And like you say, you know, if you can be reflective and actually appreciate where you are at in that moment, and there is something really special, like, you know, it can put you in such a different place, different frame of mind, and really calm you down you know it's not all about going out and just trying to smash the pedals and just trying to you know really ruin yourself there is a a lot of benefit as i've learned actually through failures to to just kind of backing that pace off and just taking in the surroundings of where you're at really so yeah yeah,
1: i think what's i you could definitely go at it a number of ways you can use the a lot of the data and analytics tools we have where yeah. you can use your Garmin or your Wahoo and you're syncing that in with heart rate and power and you know plugging in with a professional coaching service like us where we're monitoring all this. Yeah. But you can also just go out and ride without any of this stuff if you're not looking for performance gains, if you're just mm. looking for it as a tool. and um, But the biggest tip I'd say to that latter grouping of people is just try and be more dialed with your body and listen to your body more. If you feel like riding slow, Make sure you ride slow. If Mm. you feel like going fast, make sure it's fast and don't fall into that trap of just riding in the middle zone. Yeah. I think that happens. We kind of feel like if we're only out for 60 minutes, we need to push the pace, but we fall into just training a very narrow band, which is probably Mm. like zone three. And there's no problem with training in one specific zone, but it only gives one specific set of adaptations. Where if we learn to go slow, we can learn to build mitochondria, burn fat, yeah. and a, a lot of specific stuff going on in that endurance building zone. And then if we ride fast, like 10-second bursts, one minute full gas, you know we're getting a lot of neuromuscular developments, and you know there's another specific set of adaptations there. So whatever you set out to do, try and stick yeah. with that. Whether it's slow or fast, don't fall into the trap of one speed trying to commuter racing everyone
0: yeah absolutely i think that's very valuable so before we finish up today then, anthony what would you say are the five key points that men dads listening to this could take away to implement you know in their lives to around cycling and around using cycling to be healthy happier and for longevity
1: oh five points i think yeah. The first one is start with the end in mind. Mm. So look at what your goal is. Uh, I I'm big on modeling. Model someone's outcome. So if you look to somebody, a peer, a friend, a celebrity, and say, okay, I want what he's got. Mm. Is it a you know two-hour thirty marathon, or is it completing a hundred-mile bike ride? So look what the finish line is, and then start backwards from there. And Because success leaves clues. So you can start looking at how he got to that place and then reverse engineer that into your own life. I think that's the first one that I'd say is super important. I think personally, there's a big, for someone who's time crunched, there's a huge gains for training with a little bit of purpose rather than just going out and aimlessly swinging punches in the dark. I'm a big advocate for training with purpose, training with data. So it's so cheap. and I got started, like to forge a bank application as a student, say I was buying a car to buy some of these, you know, power meters and heart rate monitors. Yeah. And now they're super affordable for 150 euro. You're going to get started with a heart rate monitor and the ability to plug into some of these, you know, professional coaching services. And yeah. it's going to progress your fitness so fast compared to just going out on your own and yeah. swinging in the dark. Uh, I think thirdly is... The baseline test so we want to know if we're doing the right stuff so it's go out and set it draw a line in the sand and say this is where my fitness is now and i'm going to retest six to eight weeks from now yeah Uh, i think that's number three number four i think don't get caught in that merry-go-round of thinking you need a six thousand euro bike and it's something we spoke about off air not being afraid yeah. to invest in the education part because the yeah. untangibles like, you know, a mentor, a coaching service, you don't have something physical that you can grab from yeah. this, but it's way more valuable than buying the expensive bike, buying the you know expensive wheels because it's going to be yeah. a skill that you're investing in your body rather than investing yeah. in a machine. And it's not glamorous and you can't see it. No. <laughs> uh, and then I suppose fifth is prioritize recovery, uh, recovery yeah. training, gives us the possibility of getting stronger and then that possibility gets realized through recovery. So I think recovery is super important and that can come in the form of, and it's actually a nice segue to something I'm working on at the moment. Right now uh, I'm working on, I mentioned it earlier and it, oh, it's going to be epic doing this uh, virtual performance so much. And it's kind of because everyone is a little bit down on COVID. So I wanted to pull yeah. a lot of positivity together. So my podcast, the Roadman Cycling Podcast has got a big, big audience lately and I've been lucky enough to use the leverage from that to attract some 30 of the best minds in the wow. in fitness. Okay. And so we're trying to bring 30 of the best minds from across the world in fitness together to tackle this idea of how do we optimize human performance yeah. uh, through cycling. So we're going to do it from 30 different angles. So I have sports psychologists, yogis, weight loss experts, nutrition experts, aerodynamics experts, mechanics, oh, wow. chefs. Everything yeah. and we're all coming together for from the 8th and 9th of December for a two day right. uh, virtual summit. And I think for anyone looking to optimize their fitness or get started in this, it's going to be pitched at so many different levels. So if you're a pro athlete or you're an absolute beginner, you're still going to get an awful lot out of it. Yeah. So uh, the link for it, if anyone wants to uh, jump onto it, it's just roadmansummit.com. Right. And you can okay. go, it's, it's a free ticket, there's no charge for it.
0: Perfect. Yeah, that that's amazing. I, I and, I think that to come back to what you said earlier around, you know, coaching and the accountability it is wildly underestimated. And I think that if you draw parallels from professional sport, nobody in professional sport has ever got to a, you know, a gold medal level or you know, that kind of level on their own. They have massive teams behind them. And I'm not saying you go going to hire a massive team, but what the point I'm trying to make is that it is more about you than it is about the equipment. And look, let's be honest. We're guys, we like new shiny bikes and new gadgets and stuff like that. But as you said before, the guy that's carrying 15 kilos more than what he needs to, all of those things that you're spending your money on going to amount to nothing versus what you can actually do for yourself and the benefits of actually working on yourself and having someone look from the outside in is not just for that moment in time or that you know event you're going to be training towards that's forever you know and that has come back to the impacts it has in your life has such a profound impact so i cannot stress enough how important yeah, you know, accountability coaching and things like that is you know even if it's just for cycling it like you know like we've said it has a profound impact on all other areas of your life so yeah i think that's um a great five points there anthony and definitely so what's the what's the link for the summit again it's just roadmansummit.com roadman summit so go to that sign up for it um i really appreciate your time it's fascinating talking to you anthony and you've got some uh yeah. some great stories and I'd love to uh, yeah talk, talk to you again in, in some great depth. but how, how else can people connect with you? obviously you've got road, the um and what, what other uh, places can people connect with you? Yeah uh,
1: we're on the website is Roadman Cycling, uh, so right. it's roadmancycling.com check okay. checking the Instagram handle there. I think it's roadman.cycling on okay. Instagram. Uh, so, someone obviously talked title, and I had to put a dot in the middle there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time uh, on the podcast today. And yeah, I'd love to get you back on again to talk around specifics. Maybe I'll get you back on to talk about sleep. Um Yeah, definitely. that'd be amazing. Yeah, definitely. Matt Walker, Why We Sleep is a great book for people to check out in the meantime. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Anthony. Well, thanks very much for your time today. And I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe, and I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes, and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.